Colossians 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. A minister. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity that we've had today to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. As always, we encourage those of you who are visiting to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the numerous visitors that come our way week to week, and we trust that those of you who are visiting will find the church here friendly, encouraging, and striving to live according to truth. In our study tonight, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, Specifically, we're going to be noting verses 24 through 29. I want us to think for just a moment or two about the theme, Christ, the hope of glory. There are a lot of people in our country tonight that place their hopes, their trust on our defense system. They really believe that what we need to thrive in this nation is a formidable defense system. And by that, I mean a strong military, good politicians, etc. Well, I would suggest or submit to you tonight that the hope, not just of this country, but the hope of our world, rests in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that stands out when you read the New Testament is the fact that the early church, those New Testament disciples that we read about beginning in the book of Acts, that they fervently believed in the resurrected Christ. They understood that Christ was the answer to the ills of mortal mankind. Think for a moment about the world in which Christianity was born into. I think about the Roman world. And some of the places that the Apostle Paul and other disciples had the opportunity to visit and to to preach, as Paul would say, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, the world in the day of Paul, as well as in the day of Christ, was corrupt, immoral, ungodly, if you please. And so you find these early Christians intent on making known the gospel of Christ. And so tonight we're going to talk about Christ, the hope of glory. The first thing I want to do is call your attention to Paul's ministry. When we talk about the ministry of Paul, we're really emphasizing his purpose. And in verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul sets forth two very, I think, important ideas concerning his ministry. First of all, he talks about his attitude in Christ. In verse 24, writing to the saints in Colossae, and he's writing here in about A.D. 62, he's writing from a Roman prison cell. This is one of Paul's four prison epistles. And so in verse 24 he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. When you look at the life of Christ, you see... God's Son willing to bear the brunt of a cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem for the sins of the human family. And Paul, I believe, felt it a privilege to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, he speaks of rejoicing, the privilege, if you please, to suffer for the name of Christ on behalf of these brethren. I wonder how many of us are willing to pay the price to follow the Christ. How many of us are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and even in the face of suffering, rejoice? Would we count it an honor, a signal honor, to suffer for the cause of Christ? There have been individuals in days gone by that have paid the ultimate price in their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. That is, they paid the price of their physical life here upon this earth. Paul was no exception to that. When Paul wrote to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, some six years have now elapsed since he is writing to the saints in Colossae, and he said, I'm already being offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul understood that death was nigh. Historians indicate that Paul was beheaded by the hands of Nero Caesar. Nero Caesar was a bloodthirsty emperor or king. And Paul paid the price. He died for the Lord whom he loved. But here Paul speaks of this attitude of suffering, this, this willingness, the joy that I believe flooded his soul in light of his suffering for the cause. But then look at verse 25. He talks about his activities for Christ. He said, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Go back and look at Acts chapter 9 when Saul of Tarsus, Paul as we know him, when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And the Bible tells us that following that encounter, that the Lord then appeared to a man by the name of Ananias. Ananias initially resisted what the Lord had to say to him concerning going to Saul of Tarsus. He said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. He knew the reputation of Saul of Tarsus, that Saul had been a vehement persecutor of the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, we read of Saul of Tarsus wrecking havoc upon the body of Christ. He did everything within his power to destroy those who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord said, go, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel to bear my name before kings, Gentiles, and the children of Israel. And then in verse 16 he said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now Paul obviously lived to fulfill that prophetic statement by the Lord. But in verse 25 he talks about how he became a minister according to the stewardship from God which had been given unto him. Paul had a commission. He became an apostle, as you know. He was an ambassador for Christ. As an, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, he was a special servant. He had a, a ministry to fulfill, and thus he did everything within his, within his power to fulfill that responsibility given unto him. He viewed himself as a steward of this ministry. Now over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul would say that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. Well, I believe that Paul was, was faithful to the charge that had been given unto him by the Lord Jesus Christ. He sought to, to discharge the duties that had been entrusted unto him. 
Think about the, the responsibilities that rest upon us as Christians. The responsibility to evangelize, to edify, to render benevolence. All of us have these responsibilities. And the question is, are we faithful stewards of that which God has placed within our hands? But now I want you to think in the second place about His message. When we talk about His message, we're really thinking about His preaching. That is, His preaching endeavors. And the first thing I want to call your attention to is this fact. Note what He preached. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, Paul said that he had been given this stewardship from God to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which he said is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, what, what was it that Paul preached? Well, he preached this divine mystery. Typically, when we think about a mystery, we think about something that has been concealed. Well, the mystery that had been concealed for years and years, centuries if you please, was now revealed. And that mystery was that the Gentiles might be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel according to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul in that context talks about how he had received revelation from Almighty God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. Whereby when you read, he said, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it has now been revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul received revelation from Almighty God. He disclosed this mystery that had been that had been concealed for ages. Well, what was that mystery? Well, that the gospel should be preached to the Gentiles, that they should be included within the body of Christ. Think about what Paul said in Ephesians 2, that Christ reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, He paid the price for the sins of the human family. As the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, He tasted death for every man. Jesus gave his life for everyone. And so Paul had the responsibility of discharging this message to the Gentiles. He was a faithful steward in the proclamation of this divine message. And so, note if you would again what he says. Drop down and look at verse 27. He said, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. I would suggest unto you tonight that the hope of mankind rests upon Jesus Christ. Now we live in a society today that is totally mixed up, pluralistic to the core. And there are people in our society today, in our country today, that have the idea that there are many roads and that there are many gods that will ultimately lead one to peace happiness, tranquility, and ultimately to eternal life. But I want you to hear what Jesus said. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the only one who has 
the ability to impart sustaining power to those who are lost and dying in sin. He is the life outside of which there is no other saving life. He is the perfect embodiment of divine truth outside of which there is no saving truth. Jesus is the way outside of which there is no other way to salvation, to God the Father. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If men and women are going to be saved, they're going to have to be saved through Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. He is, as Paul said, the hope of glory. Now, having said that, let me just suggest that Jesus Christ is our only hope in the realm of pardon. There are people in our, in our world tonight that need pardon from sin. And the only way that I know that men and women can be liberated from the bondage of sin is Jesus Christ and His blood. Without the saving blood of Jesus Christ, men and women will be lost. They will stand in jeopardy of losing their eternal soul in a devil's hell. That's what the Bible teaches. In Ephesians 2 verse 12, the Bible says that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord are without hope and without God in this world. You want to talk about a dark bleak picture that is a dark and bleak picture but in verse 13 Paul said but now you who were once far off are made nigh brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus Christ has the ability to save us from sin to wash away our sins think about Saul of Tarsus he had put to death many Christians he had been responsible for the imprisonment of countless numbers of people and yet when Saul of Tarsus was met by Ananias, Ananias said unto him, And now why tarriest? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22, verse 16. What about those people on Pentecost Day? People that had been guilty of the death of the Son of God. The Apostle Peter on Pentecost Day said, speaking to the Jews on that occasion, that by lawless hands they had taken the Son of God and crucified and slain Him. No wonder they were pricked in their hearts or cut to the heart. No wonder they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And no wonder, no wonder the apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Jesus is our only hope for pardon. Jesus is not only our only hope for pardon, but He is our only hope for peace. When we talk about peace, we're talking about the peace that comes as a result, a direct result, of our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a correlation there. If you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you have no peace. Isaiah pictures the wicked like the turbulent sea, which has no rest. And he goes on to say in the book of Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. Look at our society today. Look at the unrest. Look at the apprehensions, the concerns, the anxieties that weigh so heavily upon mankind. Where is the peace that passes all understanding? It's in Jesus Christ. 
And so in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to enjoy peace, you have to go to Christ, who is the hope of glory. He is the only one that can afford us peace. It's somewhat ironic that Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6, when he speaks of the coming of the Christ, he said, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace can give you the peace that passes all understanding. Now look at our, look at our nation as we speak. Our nation is, is facing uncertain times, turbulent times. We live, in, we live in a day and time in which our nation is facing some very serious concerns. And there are a lot of people that are, that are at unrest. But let me tell you what, we can have peace unknown to many people in our world today, and that peace comes through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a third thing that Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, can give you. And that is prosperity. I'm not talking about filling up your bank account. I'm not talking about giving you a lot of land or endowing you with a lot of material assets, but I am talking about wealth, riches. Look, if you would, at what Paul said. Look at verse 28. Well, look at verse 27 again. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word riches there means plentitude or wealth. Is it not the case that you and I, as God's people, we are rich beyond compare? When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he said, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the apostles, was this grace given, that, un that among the Gentiles might be preached by me the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of whom? Of Christ. Jesus Christ can make you rich. What kind of riches are we talking about? Spiritual riches. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are wealthy. You are spiritually rich. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul talks about how as a child of God, we enjoy every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing known to man resides in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you are rich. If you're outside of Christ, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much land you own. I don't care how much, by the way, by way of materialism that you have stockpiled away, you are a pauper. You are in poverty. But if you're in Christ, you're rich beyond belief. That's what the Bible says. And so we talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the only hope, can give you pardon, peace, prosperity and also I would suggest unto you he can give you purpose or direction in life look at how many people in our society float through life aimlessly they have no direction no sense of purpose no aim no goals if you were to ask them what's life all about they would look at you with a blind stare with a blank look if you were to ask them what's your goal in life what's your what's the thrust of your life here upon this earth, they would look at you like a deer in headlights. They have no idea. And yet the Bible tells us that in Christ Jesus, we have purpose. 
Now Solomon talked about the purpose that we have in life. He said that what ultimately is the consummation of man, what is the fulfillment of mankind, is to fear God and keep His commandments. Because he said, this is man's all. That's what life is all about. Jesus would say it like this, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things will fall in line. I was talking to Garland Elkins the other day at the School of Preaching. And we were sitting down after chapel having a cup of coffee and he was talking about a gentleman and he said, if he'll stay faithful, the Lord will take care of him. The Lord will provide for him. Well, I think in large part, Brother Elkins has a sense of what life is all about. If we will live for the Lord, if we'll put him first, if we will diligently strive to live as he would have us to live, all these other things will fall in line. So, we think about what Paul preached. But then I want you to note also, in, in connection with this, note why he preached. Why did the Apostle Paul spend so much time preaching and teaching the gospel? Well, look if you would at verse 27. To them God willed, or rather to them God willed, to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Why do you think the Apostle Paul spent so much time preaching? Let me sum it up for you like let me sum it up for you in this way. He preached the gospel because he realized that that was the only message that would deliver men and women from the bondage of sin. In other words, the deliverance of mankind. Look again at what he says. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Now, we talk about warning people. Think, think for a moment about, about in our country. We have, we have warning signs. We have caution labels. We have yellow lights. We have red lights. What are those, what are those objects intended to convey to us? Well, to be careful. When Paul preached the gospel, one of the elements of his preaching was warning people about the impending wrath to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse 10, Paul said, We must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or evil. In light of that, in light of the judgment to come, Paul would say, therefore, we persuade men. When you and I stand back and look at, at the possibilities, there is either a heaven to gain or a hell to shun. If individuals do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, ultimately their final destination is the hell of fire. Jude talks about snatching people out of the fire. Look again at what Paul said. Him we preach, warning every man. Paul sought to warn people. He sought to encourage them to do what was right. You go back and read the book of Acts. And you see Paul going to, to cities like Corinth. A moral cesspool of evil. 
And yet he goes into the city of Corinth. He labors some 18 months among these people preaching the word of God. And the Bible says that many of the Corinthians hearing, believing, were baptized. Acts 18 verse 8. When he writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 6, he talks about how the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. What is it that's going to change the world in which we live? It's the gospel of Christ. What is it that's going to turn this world upside down so that people can see what is right and pure and holy. It's the gospel. That's what people need today. They need a healthy dose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me just make this observation. We live in a day and time in which there are people that talk about their physical and mental addictions. And I understand that there are, there are addictions that can be very powerful in the lives of people. Some of those some of those addictions are physical. Some of those addictions are emotional. Some of those addictions are chemical in nature. But let me just say this. There are a lot of people today that are hopping on the train to go to some, some facility to, to get help for their addiction. And that's all well and good. But really what they need more than anything is a healthy dose of repentance. They need to repent before Almighty God of their lifestyle. Now that's the sad truth of the matter. When Paul stood before the Athenians as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 18, you remember the Bible says that when he entered, when he entered the city of Athens that his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And so he reasons with, with the philosophers of that day and time, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. And they spent their time, as Luke said, in nothing else but either to hear or to tell some new thing. Well, Paul has the opportunity to stand before these people and preach the one true living God. He talks about how it is God that has created all things. It's in Him that we live and move and have our very being. In verse 30, here's what Paul said to the people in Athens. The times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what our nation needs to hear. Repent. When, when Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh, what do you think he went into Nineveh doing? The Bible says he went to Nineveh and preached repentance. That's what people need to do in our society today. They need to repent of sin, turn from a life of sin, and be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away. So when Paul preached to the, Athen, the Athenians about the judgment to come in Acts chapter 17 or when he preached repentance, in verse 31 the Bible tells us the reason he preached repentance was because he understood that one day God would call all nations before him to the judgment. And so we talk about warning every man. But look also in verse 28. He said that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The word perfect carries with it the idea of nothing being necessary for completion. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are complete. Look at what Paul said in verse 10 of chapter, chapter 2. 
He said, you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are complete. You, are, you have everything you need to be whole in the eyes of Almighty God. There are no deficiencies. There is nothing lacking. And so that's why Paul would say, if you're in Christ, you're complete in Him. And Paul said his goal was to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, look if you would at verse 29. In verse 29, we think about his mindset. And when I think about the mindset of Paul, what, what really, what I guess floods my mind is his persistence. This was a guy that was persistent. Paul in no way stepped back and just threw in the towel or gave up. But rather, here's this guy that's, that's on call 24-7. It's a ball of energy. And so look at what he says in verse 29. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul here makes reference to his tireless labors. To this end, I also labor. What, what was the thrust of Paul's endeavors? To present every man perfect in Christ? To give men and women the opportunity to hear and put their faith in Christ, the hope of glory? Now let me ask this question. How successful was Paul in his ministry? How successful were, were those who comprised the church of Christ in the first century? You remember what Jesus said before he, before he ascended to heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Look at what Paul said in verse 23. In verse 23 he said, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, or if you, if, or rather in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now you just let that settle in for a minute. Paul is saying that in some 30 years since the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and the giving of the Great Commission, every person in the known world had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to him. He said the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Can we make that same claim today? Let me tell you why we can't make that same claim. Because of apathy, indifference, and lukewarmness. We might as well just get to the heart of the matter. The reason the, the world at large, stands in jeopardy of the fires of hell is because members of the body of Christ are indifferent, apathetic, and lukewarm in their faith. Now you can cut it any other way, but the bottom line is simply that. You think about the Apostle Paul. He didn't have, he didn't have radio. He didn't have television. He didn't live in the jet age. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have email. He didn't have a cell phone. 
He did not have any of the modern conveniences that we take for granted today, nor did any of his other brethren. And yet Paul is saying that the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. All I can say to those of us who belong to the body of Christ tonight is shame on us. Shame on us because we have not fulfilled our responsibility as a people of God. We talk about we don't have this and we don't have that and we can't do this and we can't do that. Let me just ask this question. What do you think the Lord's going to say on the day of judgment? Do you think that our excuses are going to hold water on the day of judgment? Well, Lord, I was just too busy. Or, Lord, I didn't think. Or, Lord, I didn't have the ability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you really think that God will be pleased with the efforts of the church of Christ in the 21st century. With all of the technology that is at our disposal, and we say we can't take the gospel to people in a lost and dying world. I think we better wake up. I think we better wake up, and let me just, let me just say this, I think we ought to repent for our lukewarmness and our indifference toward the lost. The early church, when you compare their efforts to ours today, it puts us to shame. We're just playing church. We talk about being Christians and members of the body of Christ and how we love the Lord, and yet we won't even do the first thing to evangelize. We don't talk to our friends, we don't talk to our neighbors, we don't talk to our co-workers, we don't talk to people in, in school with us. We don't distribute tracts, we don't distribute CDs. We won't even support efforts on a large scale in some places that are trying to dispense the gospel to a lost and dying world. Why is that? I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just trying say, look, we have got a massive undertaking. Christianity is serious business. We talk about wanting to go to heaven. Let me just ask this question. Who are you planning to take to heaven with you? I want you to just think about this as we close tonight. Chances are, wherever you spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell, you're going to take somebody with you. If you go to hell, chances are somebody's going to hell with you. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your son's plural. It might be your daughter's plural. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. It might be your grandchildren. It might be your mother, your father. It might be your friends, your neighbors, whomever. If you go to hell, chances are somebody's going with you. And to me, one of the most frightening things in the world is to think about standing before the Lord on the day of judgment and somebody pointing a finger at me and saying, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of your influence. And let me just ask the question, when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, will somebody be able to point a finger at you and say, look, I'm lost because of you. Because of what you either did or did not do. As a child of God. On the other hand. If you go to heaven. Chances are. 
there will be people in heaven because of you. Because you took the time to teach, instruct, encourage, plead, and persuade. Wouldn't it be wonderful to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and just look around and see the bright faces of people that will hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And to know that you had a part in their conversion and their faithfulness to the Lord. I want to confess to you. I know I could do better. I know I can do better. And I know I want to do better. And I want you to join hands with me. And to say with me that we're going to do what we can to be the church of Christ in the 21st century. That we're going to be what the Lord would have us to be. I understand we're human beings and we fall miserably short on many occasions. But you know what? If we try, if we do our job, I'm convinced the Lord will do His job because the Bible says that God's Word will not return to Him void. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. We think about the tireless labors of Paul, but then also note his triumphant labors. Very quickly, Paul said to this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul was triumphant. I said just a moment ago, every person, every known person in the world heard the gospel during the lifetime of the apostle Paul. When I think about the triumph, the triumphant life of Paul, I can't help but think about what he said when he wrote to Timothy. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. The Lord one day wants to own and crown us. And the question is, will he? He'll own and crown us if we've been faithful to his cause. Jesus said, be faithful until death and the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. I close tonight by simply saying that Christ, He is the hope of glory. He is our only hope. What we need to do is make that hope known to a lost and dying world. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Would you consider becoming a child of God? Would you tonight consider putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Believing that He is who He claimed to be centuries ago, the divine Son of the living God, John 8, verse 24. Would you then be willing to repent of every sin, to give it up, to confess His name before others, and then to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Acts 2, verse 38. If you'll do that, the Lord will then add you to His body. Acts 2, 47. And if you're in His body, you are numbered among the redeemed. Ephesians 5, verse 23. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're not what you ought to be. Maybe you have not been what the Lord would have you to be in your life. Well, you know, the beauty of that is we have the opportunity to pray for one another. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another, James 5, 16. Maybe we've not lived faithfully. Maybe we've not done as we should do as God's people. Well, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
why not let us pray for you and with you tonight, knowing that God will abundantly pardon. Would you do so as we stand and sing?